The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live. It's six o'clock on Friday. It must be Friday Night Live. You're listening to Inspire FM, 105.1 FM. And we're going to talk about topical issues as we normally do. My name is Zafar Iqbal. With me in the studio is Abu Bakr Cooper, who's going to be co-hosting with me, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah. Like every week, we have a packed show, inshallah, two hours of discussions around topical issues that are pertinent to uh, our community. Uh, hopefully, inshallah, you you all the listeners will be uh, staying with me for the next couple of hours and and listening and contribute if you can inshallah if you want to contribute inshallah there's obviously we have a number of different ways you can contribute to our discussions obviously you can ring in the and and talk to us and our listeners uh our number is 0158248 but obviously there's other social media communication channels which are open to you too if you wanted to get in touch with us Namely, WhatsApp. If you want to WhatsApp us, our number is zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two. Or you can text me if you want to get involved in any of the items of discussion which I'm about to reveal to you for this this evening. Uh, we're going to talk about Brexit. Now that big deadline, thirty first of October, is nearing. Uh, is it going to be a Brexit date or not? What say ye, Abu Bakr? Well, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's it's impossible. Impossible, you say, yeah. right? Or oh, we'll have a couple of experts uh, uh, from from different universities well, who can who was going to give us a view on that. Well, it's not because it hasn't been improved. It, it has been um, it has been uh, agreed upon in principle. But what they have to do now is go through the process of reading it and the, and the fine details bef- before it can then be passed into the next stage to the House of Lords and then mm. it comes back from the House of Lords to get its rubber stamp. So what um, Prime Minister Johnson was hoping to do was um, do all of that reading process start to finish in three days and have it sent to the Lords and then straight back and then uh, um, it would go s- straight on mm. the statute So, books. so me, 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 thinks um, he, me thinks he's trying to to um, push through things that he doesn't want a lot of people to see or read through uh, I guess it's a, it's a fairly meaty document, right? That that's this. Uh, well, this it, it it is a very meaty document. I mean, it it, it it's something that runs into hundreds of pages. Mm. Um, effectively, what we've got isn't massively different to what Therese May had. So it, it's going to so a, an awful lot of it is going to be very very similar. It, it's just, of course, the the um, our representatives, our MPs need to make sure that um things are no, nothing has been slid in there right which wasn't intended to be slid in there <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I wouldn't say that but that's for you to decide or or say but right. but no i mean having 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 a law of of this extent um taking some time to to be read and discussed is is a normal thing it, it's actually the process that um, Prime Minister Johnson wants to do to do it at a very fast track pace, mm. which is um, isn't the usual thing. Um, 
so, so it's not and the the, the 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 MPs have voted on it and they have approved it um but the fine detail um where they go through each clause and amendment um that is, that is what has to be okay. so that's that's the headline inshallah gone through so we will have a couple of experts who can talk about the consequences and the timelines and what that means for the rest of the uh, the country uh, inshallah shortly uh we're also going to be talking uh about uh the kashmir march which is planned for tomorrow uh and highlighting basically the plight of kashmiris who have been under siege effectively or for almost two months almost three months now almost uh so we'll have some some uh people who are going to talk about what activities been happen what activities are being happening to uh, highlight uh their uh plight effectively uh we're also going to talk about prevent again once uh, again in our show and we're going to talk about uh the review of prevent itself which took place and whether that was a uh a fair process in doing that or not i think there are some people who disagree say that that is, wasn't a fair process and we're going to give them opportunity to try and and put the case forward uh and finally we're going to finish off with a topic uh which is very very important i guess to the whole community uh, in the times that that we're living uh, living in we're, we're going to talk about mental health uh, and we're talking about mental health among muslims there are some disturbing stats which have been released which seem to indicate that mental illness is quite prevalent within our community uh, so we're going to be talking about that around about 7:30 inshallah so stay tuned uh, some really really important topics uh, i'm hoping that you will join me on this journey a couple of hours and uh, journey and uh, keep me amused and then i can keep you amused uh, inshallah uh, join me if you can ring me if you can uh, and participate in, in our discussion so uh, we're going to have a discussion among ourselves while we're trying to get hold of uh, our expert guests uh, for the moment and uh, so uh, uh, brother abu bakr cooper who's, who's with me uh, and he was talking about the fact that in essence uh, the the law or the agreement has been approved which is a bit odd really isn't it why, why if it's a, if it's approved why, why why the shenanigans just get on with it well why, the, why, but if, the shenanigans the shenanigans isn't just um on the the, the 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 situation as it were isn't just sitting with the rest of the house of commons um because 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 of this issue not being backed to be fast tracked through um Mr Johnson himself has actually paused the progression of the bill which it, it, which as it's the government's bill is his right to do so so although the MPs have said yes eff- effectively my understanding is that's in principle but now he's because he's now upset about it he's sort of got to have the last That's what I mean it's, it's he's got have, isn't it it's, he's got he's he has to have the last word so he said um okay well um well, I'm going to pause the bill but but if you think about if you think about it right, if you think bill. about it uh, the, the bill has been put back a little bit because uh the MPs want more details to to comb through it I guess right with uh, more details and then read the, read the details etc uh but isn't it a bit back to front they've actually approved it and then they want to look at it don't they actually look at it in detail first and then have a vote on it is that back to back to front well it it seems it does it does seem odd but it is normal for things to 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 be to be read over and and have each um fine fine detail but um 
Yeah, I, I have to say that um, I don't fully understand myself why it is that they couldn't approve it in principle. Mm. Because like I said, every MP is aware pretty much of the all detail. of the details because it's not every single thing that Mrs May had that it's been changed. Do you see mm. what I mean? Yeah. So it's it, it's just it, the Northern it, Ireland bit by looks of things, isn't it? It's it's fine nuances that have been changed. Mm. Mm. So it shouldn't it shouldn't be a massive amount of reading, especially for someone that is used to to reading things that, and how they're written in law, to pick up the differences between what was there before that they didn't like and what 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 is there, mm. which in essence you see they have approved, mm. but they've said that. But they've rejected is, is but you see, it is normal to have a drawn out consideration of a piece of legislation to, to fast track it through. That isn't normal. So to do that, that, that is what uh, uh, Prime Minister Johnson was trying to do. Mm. Um, but now he's said because he, he obviously uh, uh, come come hell or high water die in 30, a ditch. Thirty first of October, I'm leaving. So, so he doesn't die in a ditch. He's got to have the last word, and he said that um, he's pausing the progression of the bill. So Un until they approve elections. Yeah. With mm, holding. And of course the. the, the but the, what the opposition will not do is approve is to approve an election unless there's a cast iron, absolute guarantee that um, a no deal Brexit is never going to happen. Mm. And see, and of course the government won't agree to that either. So. Right, okay, we, we, we are in this got, crazy paradoxical situation of watching all this going on and the the, 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 the country is not being governed. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we've got Dr. Alan Wager uh, on the line. He's a research associate at the UK, UK in Changing Europe Initiative at King's College in London. Welcome, Dr. Alan. Hi there, how are you doing? Not bad. Thank you very much uh, once again for joining us at Inspire FM. Uh, you always bring light to our discussions. Yeah. We've we've kicked off with with basically critiquing the fact that uh, a bill has been passed, but without looking at the details. A bit back to front, would have thought. What, what's your view on that? Well, well, a bill has passed in in theory. It's passed second reading with on the back of Labour MPs saying, "Okay, we'll look at this bill, but we might want to add new elements to it." So. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think I think we'll we'll have a situation where, while there's a majority in theory for Brexit happening, mm -hmm. uh, there's no majority for any exact type of Brexit, and that's what we've seen over the last three years. MPs understand that a lot of it, a lot of the public wants to, you know, call uh, it phrase, get Brexit done. But then, but each individual type of Brexit, if it's something that people in the Conservative Party support, then people in the Labour Party don't like it, and mm -hmm. if it's something that gets Labour MPs on board. Then Conservative MPs don't like it, and that's what we're going to see. Probably, if the bill does end up being debated at, at the next stage in the House of Commons, uh, that's what we're going to see. Uh, the tensions in 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 the number of those that voted for the deal in theory uh, come out in the open. So, so uh, actually, if you, do you mind actually sort of unpicking what happened on Tuesday? Because uh, uh, I think that, that when I was reading through the uh, through the the headlines in the newspapers, they focused on the second part, which was the government's defeat. But then there's some information came through about the fact that the government had actually pushed through the bill, so a little bit, a little bit confused what happened at the sequence of events, and, and if you can unpick through them and see yeah, so it. Well. 
So the, the first vote, uh, uh, which the government won by 30 votes, was on the principle of Boris Johnson's deal, the main parts of the deal, the right. new deal for Northern Ireland, the money that the UK owes to the European Union, and citizens' rights and so on. That was passed by 30 votes, the idea that we should have a bill that enacts Brexit. But then the next, the next, the next vote, which was lost by the government, was on the timetable, and that said that you know we vote, we'll only give you a few days to vote through this. Hmm. And the reason that, and that, and that speaks to the reason why, why, why I just think so. There's a majority in theory, but MPs want to put amendments to it and want to change the bill, hmm. and that's why they weren't willing to let it just be pushed through in that amount of time. Right. Okay. And what's happened now? I think since then it's actually been paused. The government said, "Well, actually, no." we're not going to let you have that bill until we're happy in that, that you've agreed on a election date or something, is that? Yeah, is so the yeah, government <laughs> are essentially now using this bill as a sort of bargaining chip and saying, you know, if you, if, if you give us an election, we'll drop this bill. And that's what, I mean, it, it shows that, that, that ultimately whether or not Brexit happens or not before an election is the main thing for the government, not, not, not whether or not it gets done in the best way possible, really. It's a, it's part of the p politics uh, of the present moment and, and of trying to get that majority for the Conservative Party after the next election. And they think that if, it, if, if they can force an election as soon as possible, they're clearly of the view that they'll win a majority in that election. Hmm. So, so in, in essence, what's happening really is just basically political maneuvering to position the parties themselves uh, in, in, a, in a, I guess, in a, in a position where they can gain the most public, I guess, uh, appreciation uh, before the run of the elections. That, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's not all about agreements anymore. It's not about European agree, uh, agreement anymore. It's more about, right, okay, we, we, we want to end up top. We want to be the ones who have said, right, we got it through, that type of thing. Is that, is that fair reading? Yeah, politi po politicians are, do are doing politics. And they, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing inherently, uh, uh, you know, wrong with that. Hmm. It's just a question of whether or not... Uh, we, well, it's clear. It's clear now we're in a situation where Boris Johnson says he can. He's got a majority for Brexit in the House of Commons. He said he had achieved a great big victory on Tuesday. Yet he also is saying that Parliament's stopping Brexit and we need to have a uh, an election. And, and and on the other hand, you've got Labour saying we really, really want an election. Mm. And then when it comes to it, they vote against it. So you get mm. the situation where what what politicians are saying in public is actually different to the strategy that's going behind the scenes to try and get that outcome that they want. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's clear that the, the Labour Party thinks that right now is not the best time for an election. Mm. So and what, and what's, what's happening to the 31st of October then? I mean, up until, I guess, a couple of days ago, um, you know, the, the, I guess the politicians were saying it's happening on the 31st of October. And yet today, I think Sajid Javid has come out saying it's not going to happen. So what's, what's, the, what's yeah, the feeling I, of that? And so, uh, some people in Westminster are saying that actually all this discussion of a of an election and stuff is it's sort of hot air to sort of disguise the fact that the Boris Johnson's pledge that he would do or die leave on the 31st of October isn't going to happen anymore, and there's right. no chance of it happening now because MPs aren't going to let that happen now. Mm. So maybe you know. So, so this was uh, this was a lot of people. A lot of people expect, or at least expected, that Boris Johnson too would electorally and politically suffer if he if he lost and failed that deadline. And you'd start seeing Nigel Farage trying to mm. gain political advantage by the fact that Boris Johnson failed to meet that deadline. But so far, Boris Johnson has effectively been, been very good at, 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 giving, at blaming everyone else for failing to meet this deadline. Right. OK. So I, I guess all of these maneuverings is more 
towards personalities and, and being seen in a public as being the one who's delivered rather than actually getting the country on a on a proper footing. So I think it's interesting you, you mentioned the fact that I think majority of the MPs now want to leave. Uh, so that that that's that wasn't the position before, I guess. And is that that's changed recently? Is it or? What's, up, what's your view on that? Yeah, well, what you've seen is a, is, a, is a minority of Labour MPs who have always said that they were, they want to vote for a Brexit, but didn't vote for, never voted for any of Theresa May's deals. Mm. But now, you know, you know, so 19 Labour MPs voted for the second reading, and about half of those seem intent on voting for it all the way through. So right. a majority, and now that all of the Conservative Party are willing to vote for Boris Johnson's Brexit, it looks like there is the possibility of a majority in the in the House of Commons to pass through Brexit, and it, and, it, and if that and if he does succeed in doing that, then it will be a huge political success for Boris Johnson, Indeed. which makes it a bit of a mystery as to why he's not pushing through this bill now and why he's going for an election instead. He must be looking at some really positive private polling that uh, no mm. one else can see at the moment, because at the because mo- because it, it makes sense for him really. To uh, to go for to go for to go and pass that bill and then go for the election. So indeed, indeed, and I, I guess I guess what Labour want is they want a bill and, and not have to not have to sort of vote on it until mm. the public has had a vote on it. So they want an election, but an but election. In, in fairness, the, in fairness, what the opposition has said, not just Labour, it is that. Yes, you can have an election, but you must agree that we will never have a no-deal Brexit. And that as an agreement, as as guaranteeing a no-deal Brexit will not happen, see, that hasn't come from the other side either. See, so it's not it's not a situation where it's just in 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 the in the government or in the opposition the government want, want, wants one thing the opposition says right you can have it and that they they have consistently said then take no deal off the table but but if you've got there's, there's a deal the mps have voted on the deal the european parliament or yes, european they union, have. the they european have. union said they're happy with the deal so what, what there is a deal there's no there's no no deal on the table anymore is there in effect Sorry, there's what? Well, I, personally, I think, I think no deal is pretty unlikely now that Boris exactly, yeah. said that he prefers his deal. So, he, but he's paused. But he's but he's he, he's paused the legislation. So, so he, he's actually effectively, he's actually effectively, you know, you know, locked the lockable chest. Hmm. I think I think what is more, it's, it's in the, it, it, it's uh, it it it's literally in the safe, isn't it? So do, does that mean if if that's the case, do, does that mean there? I mean, there's some talk about the split in uh, uh, in the party uh, from those who want a no deal uh, versus those who say, right, okay, we'll go for a deal. Uh, is there such a split, or is everybody behind now, Boris, in terms of this this deal? Uh, in terms of the general public. Now, in terms of the, the politicians I'm talking about, in the Conservative Party? Um, in the Conservative Party, every single MP uh, voted for both the, the, deal in princi- the deal in principle and the really fast timetable to pass it through. Wow. So uh, the Conservative Party, all 278 of them voted for Boris Johnson. And that, well, that's partly because he kicked out uh, 21 uh, of them that didn't vote for it. So... Uh, they weren't in favour of his version of Brexit and in favour of a no deal. So he's made his job easier a bit by uh, mm. getting rid of everyone that disagrees with him. But also, he's got he's got a remarkably united public uh, uh, party behind him. Both both MPs 
but also people that are, you know, conservative members, the people that voted him in. Mm. They overwhelmingly love what he's doing on Brexit. And all the people that like no deal seem to like Boris Johnson's deal. And all the people that like it, wanted a deal, seem to be happy with Boris Johnson's deal as well. So he's got a big united uh, front behind him in the Conservative Party. Mm. So it's, I, I, no, no deal is unlikely in that case, uh, in that particular scenario. So uh, I guess um, in terms of the finer details, in terms of what's changed uh, from Theresa May's time, uh, and I, I guess that's all around Northern Ireland, is it? The, the question of Northern Ireland. What, what's the detail on that then? What's, uh, um, it looks like the DUP is quite upset with, with, the, um, with the deal. So it does seem like he's, he's, gone, he's created something, right, which, which perhaps the Northern Ireland, uh, Irish people wouldn't like or, won't, or don't like. Yeah, yeah. So, so the agreement as it is means that there is going to be a border in the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and the and the rest of the uh, United Kingdom. So, if you're a, if you're a business in Northern Ireland that wants to send over something to the rest of the UK, you'll have to fill out forms and declarations and so on. It's almost as if you are members of the European Union, not members of the United Kingdom. Right. And given that a lot of you know people and a lot of people in in Northern Ireland are either, either feel very strongly British or very strongly Irish. The people that feel very strongly, strongly British, the DUP, are, are, are really unhappy about, mm. about the way this has gone and the way this is going. Because in the future, if there's going to be a trade deal between the UK and I don't know, uh, you know, America, for example, yeah. the Northern Ireland would be in the regulatory area of, the, of Europe. Right. And it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be part of that trade deal. So over time, You'd have a border that got that got thicker and thicker, and and the differences between Northern Ireland, which would stay in Europe for all these things, and the UK, which would be making deals with other countries and become a different sort of economy, would get wider and wider over time. So that people in the DUP think this is the first stage towards Ireland becoming one country again, Northern Ireland, Ireland becoming one country. Again. And I think I think Sinn Fein, one of the Sinn Fein MPs, I think, added salt to the wound, saying that he doesn't see. A, uh, it's you know it's, it's it's not far off when it'll be a united island, and I think that's kind of yeah. ru rubbing salt into it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Sinn Fein came out and uh, basically backed uh, Boris Johnson's deal, which uh, meant that there's basically zero percent chance of the DUP being persuaded it's a good idea. So we've got a situation where uh, uh, you know. You know, every single MP that, that sits in the House of Commons, the Sinn Féin MPs don't sit in the House of Commons because they don't see it as, as a valid parliament because hmm. they believe in United Ireland. All the Northern Ireland MPs that are in the debate really don't like this deal, but Boris Johnson thinks he can manage without them, I think, basically. That's the that's big strategic uh, decision that's been made. Brilliant. Okay. So they, uh, don't, they don't really deserve to be called the Conservative and Unionist Party, do they? Anymore. <laughs> well, that, that's it. That's drop, it. Drop, the I, yeah. drop the pretense of the the suffix uni unionist, really. Right. That's what they need to do, really. <laughs> right. Okay, uh, Dr. Alan Wager, thank you very much for your contribution today. It's been uh, thanks, as thanks uh, as usual. It's been fascinating. Thank you, indeed. Goodbye. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, now, now then, now then, now then. Right. A Brexit. So, uh, what's going to happen next then, Abu uh, Bakr? What's happening next? In Brexit, what's going to be? Is it going to be election or is it going to be? Well, we we were supposed to be out. We were supposed to be out. Uh, I forget what the date was in March now. And, yeah, yeah. And here we are, six months on, and we're still still no further. Um, 
I I suspect that if the uh, if the political elites, uh, I say in inverted commas, um, because uh, none of them seem to be able to do what needs to be done for the country. Um, if they can't get their act together, I think because Europe needs to move on, and and they're going to mm. lose. The, I I believe eventually they're going to lose patience. It only takes one of the countries at the twenty seven remaining to say that they. Yeah. So what 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 and, what Doctor uh, well, Dr. Allen didn't. Well, well the, the situation is 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 that if they decide to not re renew anything and renew our membership, the the, the, the legal position is. We we automatically come out without a deal. That is the mm. reality, and this this situation and it's it, it's a, it's a festering canker sore going on and on and on. Europe mm. Europe needs uh, clarity, and, mm. and I think eventually they they will say enough is enough, and that they will just not grant an extension. That's it, and by default, the clock will tick, and we will just fall out. Well, and I, I wonder. I wonder if Boris is waiting for that. I wonder if Boris is saying, you know, come on, you just kick us out, and we'll go out with with a no deal. But again, I think in, in previous discussions we've had, there's no such thing as a no deal because you well, still the, have to well, go. No, you, no you, but there isn't. The, 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 we are out already because that has been signed unless an extension is granted. Mm. And and this is the thing because of our constant dithering, their patience will wear thin, and will they then say that they will not? Um, extend our time of membership. Right, okay, time to move on to our next uh, our time. Well, next item of discussion. We'll do that after the break, inshallah. So stay tuned. Uh, come back to us again in a few minutes. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM 105.1 FM. Uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about Brexit. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. It was a fairly fairly detailed and, and in-depth discussion, I think, just uh, putting a, uh, a light on the recent events, I guess, through the, through the last week or so. There's been lots happening in the Parliament about Brexit, and people get lost in terms of what's going on, to be honest, because there's lots and lots of things happening. There was a victory and then a defeat, and, you know, we're either leaving on the 31st or we're not leaving on the 31st and elections on the horizon lots happening anyway so i think that was a fairly decent discussion i enjoyed it at least anyway abu Bakr, did you enjoy it yeah mashallah it was a very good discussion okay so we're going to move on to our next topic of discussion uh so there is uh there is a uh, a march an annual march planned tomorrow is it tomorrow 27th on the 27th yeah. Uh, to mark, I guess, the uh, occupation of uh, of Kashmir from a, from that perspective, uh, and the march is uh, basically uh, in London, and I think the routes have been changed recently because of uh, of of some concerns, etc., which we'll talk about uh, in a bit. Uh, and in terms of uh, what's happening in Kashmir, uh, if you don't know, if you haven't been following. Uh, Kashmir uh, used to have uh, a semi-autonomous status, I guess, both within Pakistan and and, uh, and India. Uh, and there was an article of association, so to speak, which linked Kashmir with uh, the Indian government. Uh, and the Indian government decided to revoke that particular article and 
and govern Kashmir centrally. Their view is that, that they can do a lot more, a lot better for the people of Kashmir if they're governed centrally as opposed to people or as opposed to a semi-autonomous uh, region. So again, it's a heavily militarized region. Uh, lots of, I think, of, of close to a million Indian troops in that region to basically quell uh, uh, a rebellion against the, the government. Uh, and in effect, uh, the people of Kashmir uh, on the Indian side have been under lockdown, effectively a siege uh, since uh, since August the fifth, so that's a brief potted history. Recently, obviously, the the uh, what's happening in Kashmir goes back a very long time uh, in in history, back to 1947. We're not going to go through all of that. Uh, what we're going to talk about is is what's happening in terms of this coming weekend on the 27th, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, some local initiatives uh, that took place uh, to. Remember, I guess uh, the people the, that are under siege uh, and are living through going through some difficult times at the moment. So, uh, with me is Councillor Samira Samira Khorshid, uh, and she organised a uh, a Kashmir peace vigil in uh, in Luton yesterday. Salam alaikum, Samira. Jazakallah uh, shukriya for for joining me today. So, tell tell me what what this vigil was all about and what you hope to achieve from it. Um, thanks for inviting uh, Zahrabhai. Um, what it is that, um, you know, since I became a councillor and I've been uh, been meeting um, different, uh, from, from the diverse community and I've been, been invited there in their functions and I've realised that, you know, whenever I get a chance I will I speak about Kashmir and I've realised that, you know, many people are not aware of Kashmir, you know, what's mm. going on in Kashmir. They, they've they heard about Kashmir, but they've not heard, you know, um, about the curfew, about the, you know, uh, the uh, revocation of Article 370 and what implications uh, has been built on uh, since then. So uh, whenever I address and I, I, I'm surprised and I've decided that I think it's a good idea that rather than we Kashmiri, um, you know, uh, 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 doing the marches and protests is a good idea too. We should involve um, our diverse community. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 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 and, you know, that's the way forward by involving um, other members of the community, because the thing is, you know, it's not uh, about Muslims, it's about human rights violations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever uh, human rights violations occur, they, they're deemed to be international. They're not um, uh, 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 integral part of um, any any country, or they're not uh, associated with the internal issues. They they uh, they supposed to be uh, international issue. And uh, as um, you've already stated, you know the, the our Kashmiri brothers and sisters uh, since fifth of May, um, you know their um, status which has been agreed with them, and that has been taken away. Their rights has been snatched from them, mm-hmm. and. Um, as we 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 are the representative of that nation, you know, the, our origins are from there. So, I believe that it's, it's our moral duty to speak up, as mm-hmm. we've got, uh, you know, uh, we are lucky in a sense that we have been given um, right of freedom of choice. Uh, we have we've got the right of assembly uh, with a peaceful 
means. So we should exploit all those, you know, uh, avenues to get justice for them. Sure. Because... Uh, so, so what, 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 what did you actually do uh, in, in this vigil that, that you, uh, you organized? Uh, you know, what the significant about this vigil was that um, it's the very first time um, we, we've got um, the speaker from the diverse community. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got um, um, Gurpal Bening um, is the vice president of uh, um, Gurdwara Mm-hmm. Um, in Luton, then we had um, um, a, 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 a councillor, ex-councillor and ex-mayor Tahir Khan, who represented Bengali community. Mm-hmm. Then we had um, a Seventh Day Church uh, representative Bernie Holford. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then uh, from South African, uh, African Caribbean, yes, mm-hmm. um, Sonia Tello. Mm-hmm. She was on board. Mm-hmm. And she spo- she uh, showed uh, solidarity and support from uh, from uh, uh, her her side. And then we had the uh, Luton Council of Faith was there. Um, we've got uh, we had a call from Amnesty International, and uh, they sent their apologies that, that, that they couldn't make it. But uh, mm-hmm. principally, as you you are aware, that they are supporting our cause. So so, what, what, so it was a diverse. Um, so what, what did you approach. hope? What did you hope to achieve uh, from from this vigil? Uh, what it is, um, a I would like to create awareness. You know, this mm. is what's going on, and it, it, it's not acceptable in, in this day and age. And secondly, that we want them to be to be uh, be part of our uh, you know struggle. They should be advocating for us because the thing is that this is human rights uh, violation. And on top, you know, the, the issue is, is in uh, w- within the United Nations since 1948. And um, as the, you've uh, probably aware, there's many resolution has been passed. And uh, what India has done is uh, one more thing I would like to add here. You know, yesterday I gave a very clear message to our Indian community. Mm-hmm. I said to them that, you know, there's nothing against them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about the Indian um, uh, uh, people. It's about the regime, you know, mm-hmm. who is taking the drastic steps, who is mm-hmm. violating the peace treaty, mm-hmm. you, which has been signed in 1972, called mm-hmm. uh, famously called a similar agreement, you know, which clearly says, you know, we will do uh, everything uh, in a friendly manner, with the cooperation, mm. with the peace and harmony, and neither of us will do not and en- will not do anything unilaterally. Mm. But you know the thing is that on the fifth of August, mm. Modi government has unilaterally revoked the Article Seven Three Seventy, which was the only bridge between mm. uh, Kashmir and uh, India. Mm. So from uh, occupation to they've moved to annexation. So, which is 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 okay. not acceptable. Okay. So uh, I've got uh, on the line Basharat Ali. He's uh, he's uh, of Kashmiri origin, and uh, he's been in Kashmir recently, and and he's a solicitor by profession, and he takes a keen interest in uh, Kashmiri politics. Salam alaikum, Basharat. Wa alaikum salam, Zafar. How are you? Uh, alhamdulillah. Welcome to Inspire FM and Friday Night Live. Okay, so so uh, I guess this march that's happening on the twenty seventh. Uh, this is an annual event. Um, uh, what what's what's happening? Can you, can you tell us a little bit more? I think the march is 
a matter of just highlighting the suffering mm. of the people of Kashmir uh, of all faiths, but in particular the Muslims of Kashmir, because the actions of the Modi government have targeted the Muslims of Kashmir in particular. Yeah. All of the rhetoric yeah. was very clear. And I think this is good. All means of highlighting the suffering mm. to our fellow citizens, in the media, etc., is important yeah. as a means of drawing attention to this. But to be honest with you, there are many marches, and there should be many more. Vigils, yeah. uh, I'm all for that. But the way to look at this is <clears throat> asking multilateral bodies like the UN, mm. who are actually, in my opinion, responsible for the suffering of the Kashmiris. Yeah. And it didn't start on the 5th of August. It yeah. didn't start 30 years ago when the uprising started. Kashmir has been an open wound mm. of this Muslim body, like Palestine, since 1947-48, yeah. October 1947. So whether it's the Modi government now, Hmm. or the Congress party before. You know, prior to 5th of August, over 100,000 Kashmiris were killed, hmm. tens of thousands injured, hundreds yeah. of thousands possibly, women raped, dishonored. And as Muslims, we've got to stop begging others, that is to say governments or international bodies, hmm. to help us because... The well, this, this march isn't, isn't necessarily about begging, others. it's about show no, no, unity, isn't that. it? No. Show unity, yeah? No, no, forgive me, forgive me. I, I didn't say that, and I'm mm. not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. Yeah. What I'm saying is that all of this is excellent, and it should be done. Whatever yeah. anybody's doing in terms of raising the voice for the Kashmiri, or anybody oppressed, the, mm. this is about Kashmir, but as Muslims, we, sh we should be proud that we follow the Prophet, sallam, who sure. spoke against all oppression, against all people. But what I want to say is that the answer lies. You know, you and I are both old enough, and the other people as well. When the Falklands happened, a yeah. little full stop about 13 to 10,000 miles away from London yeah. was occupied. Mm. And Thatcher sent the task force. Yeah. And it is said that Thatcher famously remarked in the cabinet, because the cabinet were a bit like the Muslim rulers of the Muslim man. They didn't want to send a military response. And she said, am I the only man in this room? Mm. Mm. That she was willing to put her money and her mouth where it was needed. Because British citizens were occupied by Galtieri's Argentinian army. Yeah. And... Also, we know during the Second World War, the French resistance, those that were resisting Nazi occupation, yeah. were helped from Britain, amongst other places. And Hitler is the hero of the RSS and Sankt Parivar, mm. who are the support behind the Modi government. The Modi government is a Nazi. Mm. And I just want to say, our Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, you know, rightly said that the, the Nazi, uh, what do you call it, uh, in ruling India, well, Europe did not talk to the Nazis. Mm. The Nazis were fought and defeated. Yeah. And the Kashmiris don't need only our du'as and words, which we must do, but we should be asking the Muslim capitals, in particular Pakistan, Bangladesh, etc., that they should put a military response to a military problem. Mm. I'm not sure there, there is a military solution. Well, we, that's another topic of discussion, I guess. So, so I wanted to move on to, to the fact that uh, this march that was planned and I think on uh, has has happened regularly, and the march has always ended up with uh, outside the embassy, uh, the Indian embassy, high commission, uh, yes, the high commission. That's right, yeah. Uh, but this time that has been moved, and it looks like it's been moved at the request of some senior sort of uh, um, MPs w within the parliament. Well, Keith Vaz yeah. wrote a letter yeah. to uh, ask Pretty about Patel. the march and 
to Priti Patel, and Sadiq Khan was also, and he condemned the march going to the embassy. Now, look, hmm. if anybody was protesting against Hindus per se, I would be against that because yeah. in India, Hindus, Dalits are 200 million plus yeah. They're Hindus. They're oppressed by the hmm. regime. Hmm. But the Indian High Commission is supposed to represent a secular government for all Indians. Yeah. And the Indian government ordered the army, etc., into Kashmir and revoked the Article 370 and 35A. So this is purely a decision to please the Indian lobby hmm. and the Indian regime. And Muslims should reflect. You know, Muslim politicians always come with the Islamic line, we're here to help Muslims. Sadiq Khan should be embarrassed and ashamed of himself for agreeing with the likes of Keith Vaz mm. and others because this man, more than others, has played the Muslim card for securing votes mm. but when it's come to any Islamic issue, he has pathetically failed mm. every time more or less, going back to the Iraq war Wait, I, onwards. I, I, so, I think he's not. He's not here to defend himself. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's your your viewpoint. Uh, no, but I, I wanted I wanted to talk about the fact that you know there the, the, there is actually a legal challenge to the decision that was made okay, to actually I'll move it. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, basically, the way it works is that the they've they've conflated two things. In my yeah. opinion, not wrong. Yeah. Nobody is demonstrating against Hindus and the Diwali festival. 27th of October yeah. is a date when the Kashmiris are marked regularly. Yeah. And it's not something a one-off. So we all would agree that we should not be targeting Hindus per se, and yeah. I would speak out against that. Yeah. Now, this has been used deliberately mm. to mislead and misguide the public. Now, in terms of the legal challenge, the problem I foresee yeah. will be that judicial review is not an appeal. Okay, So legally, what judicial review means is that the court is only looking at the decision-making process and whether or not the decision was reasonably open rationally to a reasonable police officer, because ultimately the Metropolitan Police are responsible for security. Mm. So if they say that we think there is a risk of this, that, and the other violence, mm. and they then point to certain incidents, the judge could quite conceivably agree with them. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I've been to many demonstrations going back 30-odd years. I used to go to demonstrations for Kashmir. We all did back in when we were school kids and teenagers in the 80s. Yeah. And I don't remember any of us using any violence. Mm, uh, no. or, and nor should people be damaging or defacing the Indian High Commission. That would make you... But that, 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 that's again, that's an accusation in itself, isn't it? The fact that uh, that the, the demonstrations were, were actually violent. And in fact, they weren't violent. There was a few eggs. And... From what I remember, they weren't. But they're obviously putting forward evidence. And as I said, the polit you see, the political <clears throat> influence in the whole of this is clear. And that has been, whether it's to do with Kashmir or other places, Sadly, India is a market of one billion plus, and the politics, unfortunately, I mean, the Metropolitan Police have had some pressure, I think, indirectly and directly upon them. Ultimately, some police officer has called this, and mm. um, I'm not saying the police officer is in the pocket of the Indian High Commission or anything, mm -hmm. but until people started raising this politician like Keith Vaz, uh, we've never had these demonstrations, as rightly pointed out, being turned away from the Indian High Commission in the past. So it seems completely peculiar and out of step with what's happened in the past right okay so so just one, one final word in terms of um in terms of uh, i guess the legal what, what chances that that legal challenge is going to succeed seeing that that is well, only a couple, well there's run out of time really haven't they 
No, no, because you can make what are called interim applications, emergency applications. The, the administrative court, or the high court, the division of the high court, which sits, yeah. there's a judge always on duty 365 days a year or 66 right. in a leap year, uh, and you can try and get what's called interim relief. That yeah. is to say that a court should order a particular course of conduct until the matter is resolved. Now, I'm not privy to the claim that's been pleaded, mm. uh, you know, the legal case that's if it has been lodged, if it hasn't been lodged, you can still bring an application for an injunction mm. out of hours, and the judge may well order them down to the high court or possibly his house. It's not unknown that judges sometimes order parties. Now, the people that are bringing these proceedings, I'm hoping they're well aware of these things. A judge could quite conceivably rule in, in favour of the demonstration as well. It's mm. not by all means a foregone conclusion. I'm not saying that okay. judges will rub the stamp. Right, okay. So, so I guess the net effect of, of this ruling, uh, well, net effect of, of uh, Met Police's actions is that they're, they're, the march has been rerouted to another route, right? And I guess if people want to join the, the march, right, they have to find out where this route is, and I guess the organisers will allow, will let so people go know. from Downing Street down to Trafalgar Square, so it's interrupt you. Uh, right. They're not allowing it to go to the old witch in their house, which is right, right. at the bottom of the... Right. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, Sister uh, I've got a question right from Suleiman. Mm -hmm. He's asking, uh, do you think that authorities in power who can help Kashmir care about marches in Luton or London, or individuals? Uh, say it again. The, the the people in power, the 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 authorities, people who have who have the authority to make a difference in Kashmir. Do you think they care about marches in Luton or London S or, or vig vigil? So which authorities is talking about? Uh, I guess people who can make change, the politicians, the big leaders, uh, um, you know, the, the prime ministers, the presidents, etc. You know, the thing is that uh, the powers are with the people. It lies with the people. And it, 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 it's up to the people how they're going to use those powers to make a difference. So it's up to us, to be honest. It's, it's, uh, as you already stated, it's our cause and it's, nobody's going to, uh, you know, um, bring freedom for us. We have to take it ourselves and mm -hmm. we have to persuade it and we have to have, you know, those valid arguments, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Dialogue is the only way forward. Historically, we've seen okay. that uh, that's the way forward. And um, uh, okay, so so uh, I, I mean, I, uh, I I guess things like marches and and vigils, I think, all very well in terms of bringing people together. Mm -hmm. uh, the ultimate the ultimate aim of marches and vigils is to highlight the cause. That's correct. Uh, and and I guess now in the social media world. Uh, there are ways to reach a lot more people mm -hmm. using social media. That's correct. Uh, so I guess the question is, is do these marches and vigils, are they effective anymore? They are. They are, mm. definitely. If you look at, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the protest which is uh, happening in Hong Kong, mm. where you know the um, uh, Chinese government has to take the extradite bill. Mm. Uh, uh, the thing is, and it it only happens because of those uh, uh, protests. Mm. And you know, protests are there. You know, the thing is that you know, in d democratic world, you know, it is the right of the people, you know, to show their your uh, their anger in a peaceful manner and tell the government this is not acceptable. And this is also the means of keeping the issues alive. To be honest if we're not going to do any of these type of things then we'll, we'll for, forget about it you mm. know mm. so it's very important 
to keep uh, the momentum going. As all, I always stated this that we, you know, till we have the freedom, we have to keep the momentum go- going in terms of marches, in terms of vigils, in terms of as I'm, I'm, I'm you know, suggesting my own community that we need to reach out uh, to the churches, to to the gurdwaras, to the um, whichever community, to be honest, and we need to, you know, flag this issue that this is an issue and it's not a te- territorial issue. It's uh, about human rights issue about, about and uh, it should be, you know, right, addressed. Okay. So on but, but, on but, this but, issue, I just wanted to ask uh, both of you on this issue, um, what, what comment has there been from the uh, Indian Muslim community? Because, uh, you know, there's 12 well, parts of India, some estimates 12 to 18 percent. 200 million, yeah. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Is there, is there a response from the Indian Muslims to, uh, well, look, to what's happening? Um, I mean, just to uh, echo what's been said by the councillor, demonstrations draw attention. So if you want to explain to your colleagues and friends, most people are not aware of the Kashmir issue. So the easy this example, which all of us who grew up or studied here or studied the Holocaust, are aware of the Warsaw Ghetto, mm. where Jews, by virtue of them being Jews, were herded into a ghetto in Warsaw, in Poland, mm. and targeted. And if you mention that to any person who's semi-literate in history, instantly they know what that means. Mm. The Warsaw Ghetto stroke is tending towards a potential concentration. It's the biggest Warsaw Ghetto in history, 9 million people. That's the population of London. Mm. That's 20 Lutons, I think, near enough. So that's how you would explain to people that there is a place which under Indian rule, and just as Hitler as a Nazi did that, Modi as a Nazi is doing the same thing. Now, regarding the issue about your in answer to your question, the Indian Muslims are a disparate group. Mm. And they... Many of them are openly supporting the Indian government because they believe in a secular Indian constitution. For them, the God, forgive me, is the nation. You know, there's a very famous poem that Iqbal uh, mentioned, uh, and I'll translate it for you, but adequately sums it up. He said, uh, Has the Muslim built his own haram, like Makkah, yeah? Is that a haram? Hmm. That the high priests of civilization have created uh, the azar is ibrahim alayhisam's father okay mm-hmm. the father of abraham the idol maker and sanam is somebody you love he said in taza the biggest god of all of these gods is the nation or the state mm-hmm. if the divided muslims cut the body into pieces and the one who wears this clothing of nationalism is wearing the coffin of islam Okay. Because Islam pushes unity, and the Muslims of India, like Muslims in other parts of the world, believe in this nationalist concept. Hmm. And therefore, we did, we, we've got about fifty. Islam we've got about fifty seconds, which are so we have to conclude. I'll summarize it for you. So they are putting a nationalist. Many Muslims in India are against this, hmm. but a lot of Muslims in India are putting India first, like hmm. Pakistan first, like Turkey first. So nationalism is focusing us in a down a rabbit's hole, which doesn't help any oppressed community, whether it's the Syrians, the 
Kashmiris, right. the Palestinians, and so on. So, right. Bishad, for, for that, Bishad, I'm sorry to cut you off. We're running out of time. No, no, uh, for your contribution. I really appreciate it. Uh, and Salaam alaikum. Thank you. Salaam alaikum. We've run out of time completely. So, thank you very much for coming to the studio and talking about this. Thanks. And hopefully, your but vigil will have will create ripples. Thank uh, you. Lis- listeners, inshallah, we'll be back after this short break. Thanks ever so much. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum, welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live. My name is Zafar Iqbal. With me in the studio is Abu Bakr Cooper, who's uh, co-hosting with me today. Before the break, uh, we were talking about the Kashmir March that's planned for the 27th. Uh, that's coming this coming weekend. Uh, and before that, we talked uh, about Brexit. Uh, next item of discussion, uh, we've often talked about PREVENT uh, on this program. We talked about PREVENT as a, a government initiative uh, to create, I guess, another narrative among Muslims. And some people argue that it's, it's targeting Muslims uh, in an unfair way in order to try and, uh, I, I guess, um, I'm trying to sort of find a, a suitable sort of form of words which describes this, uh, so, so trying to steer them away, I guess, from from, uh, from the violence that, that uh, some members of the community actually partook in. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, who are seeing this as draconian set of, um, I, I guess, um, policies and, and the ways particularly targeting the Muslim community. Uh, and uh, this policy has been reviewed, and it's been reviewed uh, by uh, somebody, who, an independent reviewer who was nominated uh, by the government. Uh, and he's basically, uh, his review uh, is is basically being challenged uh, and is being challenged in a way, uh, I guess, um, which which our next guest, uh, inshallah, is going to describe for us. Uh, we have on the line Yasmin Ahmad. He's, he's, uh, she's from uh, Rights, uh, Right Watch UK. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, Yasmin. Wa Alaikum Salaam. Jazakallah for joining Friday Live. Welcome to Inspire FM. Uh, I, I just wanted to sort of uh, perhaps if you can give us a bit of a background. So now we've had we had Lord Carlyle, who's reviewed the Prevent program. The Prevent program, uh, uh, as I think everybody knows, is a government-led initiative. Uh, it was anti-counter-extremism uh, sort of uh, a program, uh, which is seen as, mm-hmm. as, as I guess. Uh, there's a bit of an overreach, I guess, right, which, which a lot of people fear uh, that this p- particular program is uh, directing towards, towards the Muslim community. And uh, it's, it's basically uh, has had some bad press and, and it's being reviewed by, or the government got it to be reviewed by somebody who, I guess, is being challenged for his impartiality. Is that, is that right? Is that, does that sum it up or uh, perhaps is, is it a different yeah. story? Um, no, no, I think that sort of sums it up. Um, so, yeah, essentially, um, Rights Watch UK um, has been um, 
looking at and sort of analysing the impacts of the government's uh, counter-extremism program, Prevent, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, we've identified a number of harms Mm -hmm. that this strategy gives rise to, including issues around freedom of expression, around religious expression and belief, Um, uh, the right to education. A lot of different issues have arisen as a result of this strategy, including the statutory duty to report signs of extremism, which, as you know, was introduced in 2015. Mm. We, as a result, have been calling for the establishment of an independent review for some time, and that was subsequent to a report that we produced in 2016, which set out in a lot of detail the harms that this strategy gives rise to, as well as the fundamental flaws that we think are inherent in the strategy, which actually give rise to those harms. So uh, the government were forced to actually establish this independent review as a result of an amendment that was put before Parliament to a bill that went through earlier this year. So they they had to establish it and they have in fact established an independent review. Uh, Before the independent review was, um, the independent reviewer was announced, Rights Watch said, look, what we will do is we will write a proposed terms of reference for the review as well as a background briefing which will set out the principles which underlie that review. And in so doing, we spoke with members of the community across the United Kingdom, the Muslim community. We spoke with people who were involved in other reviews that we felt had been quite successful, including the Windrush Review and other reviews. And we spoke to people who had been, for example, involved in similar reviews uh, from being a reviewer, including the Independent Reviewer of Terrorism Legislation and the previous people who'd held that position. And so doing, we developed a very comprehensive uh, terms of reference uh, and also we proposed someone who we thought would be a good independent reviewer and who had trust of the communities. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who did you propose? Um, one of the things that we said, yeah. uh, we proposed um, a uh, Baroness Nula Olain mm-hmm. who had um, been a pol- police ombudsman, so someone who'd overseen police activities in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. um, for a number of years. And we felt that she had uh, the exper- relevant experience mm-hmm. uh, and she held credibility um, with communities and she felt we felt she was distant enough from the situation but understood the context sufficiently so as to be able to imbue the confidence that both the government and communities and other civil society would need for this review to be effective. Mm-hmm. And really that comes to the point of our challenge. So the government didn't take heed of our terms of reference, which included that this should that anyone appointed to the independent review should be done so by the public appointment process, which yeah. would ensure that there was an element of transparency around this. Uh, they didn't do that, and behind closed doors, the government appoints Lord Carlyle. Now, we are of the view that this person, Lord Carlyle, uh, apart from any views we may have or others may have about him and the views he holds, that we say that he is not able to chair the kind of review that is necessary mm. and that was what Parliament had intended for mm. this to review to do. And on, on what, what, on what grounds in, on what grounds would you say that about Lord Carlyle? So what so what we would say that on so first of all, what was it that Parliament intended? Parliament intended that there would be a review that would be able to independently assess the different positions around prevent, but that would look at those that had concerns and had raised 
these concerns over a number of years about PREVENT, those that have been impacted by PREVENT, including communities, as well as those who are supportive of PREVENT, the government, people who have been implementing it, and be able to take all of that into account and make an independent assessment as to the veracity of this policy and its impact. Mm. The government appoints somebody who has been involved in PREVENT for a number of years. He was the independent reviewer of the strategy in 2011 when it saw, and the independent reviewer of terrorism legislation, but also specifically the independent reviewer of PREVENT Mm. in 2011, which saw the expansion of PREVENT into non-violent extremism, which Mm. has obviously huge significance. He's also on the oversight board of, Pre- of PREVENT. So if there were any issues around adequate oversight, he himself has been involved in that. But more fundamentally, he has been consistently on the record in support of PREVENT in essentially saying those that have raised concerns about PREVENT are these concerns have no evidential basis, they have no founding, there is nothing to suggest that's true. He's just essentially categorically dismissed any concerns mm. anyone's raised about. So, so, so in he essence, what you're saying, so in essence, what you're saying is that he's, can uh, I just, he's not independent enough. Can I just review. read a, can I just read a quote out that I found uh, attributed can we, can to we just, Lord just, Carlyle? Just, just finish uh, what, what, uh, no, because uh, yes, if I could just do okay, this, because I'm, 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 okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure Yasmin want to pick up on this. Um, when Lord, this, this is reported in the Independent, uh, uh, Yasmin. When Lord Carlyle appeared at a summit in Canada in May, um, mm-hmm. he said that uh, a prevent re- reviewer quote was completely unnecessary, based on fictitious mm-hmm. or a complete lack of evidence, and only a and it's only agreed to because the government doesn't have a majority in the House of Commons. So, paradoxically, he himself has actually said it doesn't need... Reviewing. A, a reviewing. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. And they've appointed and him to be the reviewer. Yeah. yeah, quite. And he's just dismissed arguments, and I quote, as absolute no- nonsense, evidence which has been put forward as to the harms of absolute nonsense. And as the arguments made to liberate the activities of some of who are opposed to the very essence of our democratic way of life. So he's essentially saying that anyone who's, those people who've raised any, any concerns are essentially in opposition to this, the very essence of our democratic way of life. So, I mean, we're saying we, that someone such as that cannot be able to give effect to the review that is necessary in this circumstance. And, I mean, it's, to be honest, it's absolutely preposterous Mm. that the government would do this, to slap in the face mm. of those communities which have been impacted by PREVENT and all of those that have been calling it. It's not just civil society, it's UN experts, it's parliamentary mm. groups. I mean, there are calls upon calls for a proper independent review of the strategy and this just flies in the face of it. And essentially what we can see is the government for appointing someone who's so very heavily invested in it who mm. cannot give effect to the kind of review that's necessary. Mm. Okay, so I just want to bring in, in Dr. Layla, uh, who's a senior caseworker for Prevent Watch. Uh, alaikum, um, uh, Dr. Layla. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, I can, I can hear you. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, so I, I just wanted to sort of, um, I know Yasmin mentioned uh, some harms that Prevent uh, has caused. Uh, perhaps, uh, being a caseworker, perhaps you can identify some of the harms that have been identified or linked to prevent, um, you know, through through the work that you've been been doing. 
uh, just to sort of, I guess, give us a flavour of, of, you know, the, the reasons why uh, Prevent is reviewing? Okay, so just to give a, a bit of a background into, in terms of what Prevent is supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, Prevent is supposed to be um, it's supposed to be a duty uh, to have due regard to um, prevent people from being drawn into terrorism. Yeah. Yeah. And as Yasmin just mentioned, um, in the 2011 revision of the strategy, um, that, that shift was made between uh, forget terrorism, but actually non-violent extremism to trying to prevent, uh, sorry, uh, from preventing violent extremism to preventing non-violent extremism. Mm-hmm. Um, and what prevent is, is if somebody is referred to prevent, Mm-hmm. then that means that somebody has been um, identified as being vulnerable to radicalization. Mm-hmm. Now, the harm that it produces, we've, as Prevent Watch, we've um, supported over 500 clients. So we've seen the trends within those 500 clients, as well as the individual cases and stories. Um, we've had children as young as three mm-hmm. being referred to, to Prevent. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how you identify that a child as young as three is yeah. vulnerable to being radicalized mm-hmm. um, is beyond me, especially since the actual risk factors behind PREVENT have been shown to be completely unscientific and based on the pseudoscience. Mm. Um, but some of the things that we've seen are things such as, you know, I mean, the government uh, actually um, suggests there are about 7,000 per year referrals. Mm-hmm. referrals. Okay. Now, 95% of those are saying it doesn't matter. They don't actually end up in channel. Yeah, we only have a few, a few hundred people who need intervention, and yeah. it's fine because other people haven't been impacted. Of mm. course, they've been impacted. They've had police officers knock at the door, or they've been interviewed by social workers. Mm. Um, you know, they've been potentially interrogated at school by, you know, or in front of teachers who actually they had you know, they had that trusting relationship with, and now your teacher's just referred you to prevent. Mm-hmm. How do you reestablish that connection, whether you're a student, whether you're a parent going to pick up your child from school? We've had parents take their kids out of school and homeschool them sure. because they just cannot go back to that school. Mm-hmm. They don't feel comfortable, even though nothing came of it, mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, they, but they still had to go through that process. They still had to be uh, questioned by police officers or have social workers come into their home and determine whether or not you know, they have the right mindset or they practice uh, Islam to the right degree or to what is seen as socially acceptable, you know, mm-hmm. Islam and not, you know, extreme enough. Sure. So if I can bring Yasmin back again. Yasmin, some mm-hmm. of these examples, uh, I guess, are probably familiar to yourself. And that's probably mm-hmm. some of the reasons why Prevent needs needs a review, an independent review. Why, why do you think the government is reluctant to pro- uh, to basically... Uh, look for somebody who is truly independent um, and, and, you know, uh, I guess agree to, 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 to have some, uh, a review but, but have it done by somebody who is who's actually vested in the whole process. Why do you think that is the case? So, um, obviously, the, in terms of the litigation that we are bringing, um, it will be, remains to be seen as to what the government will say with mm. respect to the litigation and why they will say, in fact, this was um, the right decision. But from, I mean, from what we can glean, it, we can only make an assumption at the moment, and, it, in, and the assumption that we could make is essentially that they are not confident in the policy that they in fact have and Mm. they are concerned about the impact that this has 
has. Right. And so if it was, in fact, to be thoroughly, properly, independently and effectively reviewed, mm. that there is a chance that part or all of the prevent strategy will be scrapped. Mm. And that not only has implications for the government internally, but it's also a policy that the government has been actively exporting globally. And it's really problematic because they've been exporting it to countries which really don't have any kind of rule of law framework whereby mm. people, anyone who's essentially opposing the government can be labelled as an extremist. Mm -hmm. And we obviously see the harms that have arisen here, but they can also apply and sometimes to greater degree elsewhere. So I think... I mean, as I think as a, um, a colleague from uh, Prevent Watch stated, I think one of the biggest problems around this is that the evidential basis that underpins this whole strategy, which is that you can identify someone who holds certain views and say that they are likely, they are potentially at risk of going to towards a uh, carrying out acts of violence mm. on the basis of just views that they hold mm. is being fundamentally and across the board discredited. Mm. And if it's not that that underpins it, then the government have provided no information as to what actually underpins this whole strategy, which, which really worryingly brings the state into this into this non-criminal pre-crime space yes, where yes. they're starting to essentially look over our shoulder as to things we're saying and doing which are completely lawful mm, but essentially mm. branded as they want as extremists and it's obviously extremism is so broadly defined mm. in the strategy that it leaves the door open for anything and it leaves the door open for you know anyone i guess harms that happen yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we we are saying, and we've, we have um, also requested that the government provide the evidential basis mm. for the strategy, or at least for the indicators of extremism, which is a study called the ERG 22. Mm. We've said to the government, if you are certain that your strategy is the right strategy and it's underpinned by good evidence, then you can release this to us. And to this date, the government has not released that study to us. Mm. I mean, that says quite a lot in terms of their confidence around this strategy. And this strategy is not one that just Im impacts one or two people. It impacts whole communities. It also really impacts young Muslims and other people who are targeted as they're growing up in terms of a sense of, of um, identity and being part of the community. And what we're saying is that all needs to be taken account of. First of all, Lord Carlisle is not the right person to mm. do this given mm. what he has said in his positions. And in, and secondly, if there is to be a review, it needs to be a proper review that has a robust terms of reference that looks at all of these things. And most importantly, it engages with the communities and the people who are impacted. Mm. At the moment, what all we are using so far is Lord Carlisle has sent out a questionnaire which provides 2,000-word answers Mm. Uh, which is, I mean, really so minimal that you can fill in online. Mm. I mean, how is that at the moment? And, it, and the review is limited to looking at effectiveness, not looking at impact. So, mm. I mean, on so many different levels, the, this review is just not right. And we've done, as Rights Watch and others, have done all we can to engage the government. We've, we provided them with the draft terms of reference, with the name of someone. And since then, we have said to them, this is just not the right appointment. You need to reconsider it. Labor has said the same thing. A number of other people have said it and the government have refused and he has continued on and this is really the, the judicial review is the last chance we have before Lord Carlisle comes out with what 
we can potentially see may well be a report that endorses, entrenches and further promotes a very harmful strategy. So what, what, what hope do you have that, that your challenge is going to be successful and, and what do you hope to achieve? Look, we, Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. we have it. We, look, we think we have a reasonable chance of success. Mm. Um, I don't think it's very difficult with, with any litigation to say sure. in, in, as a certainty. We think we have a reasonable chance of success, particularly given his statements before and particularly given what Parliament had intended sure. uh, in terms of setting up this review and what they wanted it to do. Mm. Um, so we think that there's a reasonable chance of success. We have um, a, established a crowd justice page, uh, which was basically help us provide funding for sure. this uh litigation which if people who are listening were interested in you can find it on our website which is at www.rwk.uk.org mm. um, and if you go into the front page and you click into our, our, our information about the judicial review there is a, a link to that and that that is something that would be very helpful from people who felt that they wanted to support this no matter how big or small the donations sure. okay. are if you go to that would be helpful for us. Okay, so I just want to bring bring in Dr. Leila again. Dr. Leila, uh, th- there was reports, I, I guess, uh, recently that uh, the police were actually using some of the, uh, the 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 information that was gained through the the whole prevent process, and and the, uh, the reports questioned whether that that was the rightful uh, use of the information. Do you have any more on that? Yeah, so we have seen this. We've seen that information is shared even without consent. Mm. Um, and we know that the government is storing um, information that they're getting through prevent on this database. Um, and that is something also that hasn't been addressed by the Times of Reference. So the the issue with the review is not just Lord Carlyle and mm. his lack of independence, not because critics think he's not independent, but by his own admission. And just a quick search of Lord Carlyle, you can find all of his quotes, not where he is in, in support not just where he's in support of Prevent, but where he's completely dismissed any concern. And he's agreed himself that, look, if it wasn't for the fact that we didn't have a majority, we wouldn't even need to entertain Hmm. this review in the first place. Um, But the terms of reference have no indication in terms of um, they're only looking at the effectiveness of the implementation of Prevent. And they don't want to look at incompatibility with any other act that's been established to protect our safety and security, such as the compatibility of prevent due to freedom of speech, with Equalities Act, with the Children's Act, with personal information management. Hmm. Um, and like I said, it's just recently been shared that this database exists. But what we've seen through um, anecdotal evidence is we, we knew this all along. We knew that there was information being stored um, and people have challenged this from our cases to say, look, I want you to remove my data and am I on a database? Mm. And of course, they don't have a sort of criminal record, but their soft data exists there mm. and an enhanced CBS could actually put up your, your information. So imagine you've been referred to prevent, nothing's come of it. However, years down the line, if something then happens, they would go back to that information and say, oh, well, you see, you were... Initially, the referred and therefore our initial referral was thing, and they kind of joined the dots. Is that, um, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that not governed by, say, for example, GDPR or some other privacy? No, privacy. Clearly not. I mean, this could be a challenge that could be taken on in terms of um, how it how it uh, you know conflicts with GDPR. Okay, 
All there right. are, just to add to that, there are uh, data protection principles and laws that regulate the collation, uh, storage and sharing of data. And that's something that we and Prevent Watch and the others have raised continuously because as uh, my colleague suggested, mm. there, are, there have been a number of instances where we've been very concerned about the collation of data mm. and the fact that there doesn't appear to be any principles whatsoever which regulates this. And, mm. and as... Uh, Leila was saying that it, essentially we don't know how and in what way and these, this is going to be used, who it's being shared with. I mean, one of the questions is, is to what extent information derived from, from Prevent is then channeled into the Pursue strand, which is actually about pursuing people who are committing acts of terrorism. Mm. Um, what And as I was saying, what other uses that information and where that information is coming up. And we're talking about also very young children here. Sure, yes. So, I mean, it's deeply, deeply problematic. Hmm. So uh, one other thing, I think uh, that I guess that there's increasing focus on on other sources of, I guess, terrorism, uh, the, the right wing uh, <clears throat> being one of them. Well, what evidence is there that this Prevent Watch is actually extended to them? It's not exclusively for uh, focus on Muslims. Is there any? The majority of our the, the, the majority of our cases are Muslim. Hmm. Um, we've been set up since 2014 um, in reaction and in recognition of the prevent duty becoming statutory in 2015. That's why Prevent Watch was set up because we recognised that actually there would be an increase in referrals off the back of that legal duty. Um, we do have some cases that are non-Muslim. However, they are far and few between. Hmm. Um, whether that's because there is a sort of lack of recognition or whether or not because there's so many Muslim cases that have come through the pipeline already sure. and these other forms of extremism have more recently been highlighted and highlighted almost as a success of prevent, um, mm. which it really isn't. I mean, going from, I think as Theresa May said, you know, we, we want to look at all forms of extremism. We want to look at non-violent, violent, ideological, non-ideological. Basically what she's saying is, and I think David Cameron even said this, is that it all comes down to British values and actually if you don't adhere to whatever the British values that the government of the day suggests is the British values you should be adhering to, then you know, I mean, you're an extremist. It is certainly worrying when you have a situation where um, communities, Muslim communities are saying that they're losing trust with it. And then you, I mean, I'm actually going to read an, another uh, Lord Carlyle quoted again here. Um, and he's saying that... Um, that he doesn't uh, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here i can't find the exact paragraph but he, he he i'm just paraphrasing what he said that um he didn't believe that there was any substance to there being a loss of trust um right. with the uh, communities right. okay, with I the prevent with, system with that, i'm gonna have to uh, have to call an end to the session thank you very much yasmin and uh, and dr Leila, for your contribution today it's been really thoroughly enjoyable jazakallah thank you listeners we're going to take a short break we'll be right back after this break Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. You're Thanks listening to Inspire time. FM. Uh, my name is Safa, this is Friday Night Live. And with me is Abu Bakr Cooper, who is co-presenting today with me. Uh, and we were talking about prevent uh, early on before the break. We were talking about the challenge by Right Watch, Rights Watch UK uh, uh, to the independent review of prevent. Uh, 
Lord Carlyle, who is deemed to be involved in the prevent process itself, so therefore not independent enough. Uh, and uh, Yasmin Ahmed presented a case uh, in terms of the reasons why he should not uh, be reviewing prevent. We're going to move on to a slightly different topic, a health-related topic now. Uh, and we're going to talk about, we're going to be picking up on some statistics that are presented by the MCB in one of their, their conferences uh, where they suggested that uh, uh, 1 in 10 of Muslims uh, were suffering from mental health issues. Uh, and I, I, I guess this is a fairly wide, uh, fa fairly wide, I guess, phenomena within the community. Mm. Uh not sure whether it's, it's historic or um, or recent, um, but definitely I think there's 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 some cases I guess right which which point to that direction. I remember many many years ago there was a uh, there was a child psychologist actually from Northern Ireland. I forget his name. Who came in in, in this um, you know dialogue committee centre itself? He did a series of workshops uh, in trying to identify. I guess ways of bringing up bringing up children, mm. uh, and then signs for spotting, uh, you know, uh, issues with behaviour, and then suggesting some ways on how to counter them. Uh, so I, I guess this is not a new thing. This has been around for for a while in terms of, in terms of uh, I guess issues around mental health. Um, we have uh, Imam Imam uh, Rosio Rahman uh, Imam Rosa who's a Muslim chaplain on mental health for the NHS, uh, who's joined us. Inshallah, we're going to talk to him about, first of all, the prevalence of uh, mental health among Muslims. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Imam Raza. Morning, assalamu Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you very much for for volunteering and coming on. Uh, this is a, I know it's a, it's a topic that we should talk about more often, uh, and I think yeah. more often than not, we don't talk about it often enough. Uh, so mm -hmm. I thought uh, we we touched on it last week, but I wanted to get a full spectrum on on mental health issues within the Muslim community. I mean, I, I touched on the fact that there was a, a statistic released by the MCB in one of our conferences where they suggested that one in ten Muslims are suffering from mental health. That's ten percent of the population. Quite a lot, yeah. I would I would have thought. What's your experience? Is that um, is it an yeah. issue or not an issue? It, it's a major issue, and people don't necessarily, uh, when I talk about people, I'm talking about Muslims in general. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Muslims, in my experience, don't necessarily relate mental health to being a, um, mental health being a religious uh, sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. there, there are people who look at it culturally, there are yeah. individuals who look at it from a religious point of view. So when we're talking about statistics, and when we're talking about individuals, we need to look at the criteria set out mm. in order to identify um, um, uh, mental health perspectives sure. within the Muslim community. Because in my view, uh -huh. uh, Muslims um, relate Islam in various ways. You have yeah. spiritual Muslims, you have cultural Muslims, and you have religious Muslims. Yeah. So we've got to be very careful about uh, how we depict what mental health is within the various types of individuals. Yeah. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so perhaps we, we can start off with with a medical definition of it, I guess. And then there's lots of, I, I guess, there's lots of different <laughs> ways, lots of different ways mental health uh, is meant, well, basically manifests itself. Um, yeah. And I, I, and I guess if I we, mean, if we can start talking about that first of all, and then we can talk about, I guess, from an Islamic yeah, so, so perspective. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So basically, mental health 
similar to physical health, yeah. is um, a sense of well-being uh, within um, a spectrum of um, uh, of uh, various types of um, harmonies, mm-hmm. which which uh, are facilitated within the mind um, throughout one's life. Sure. So mental health, we all have it, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes it dips and sometimes it goes way beyond. Um, sort of the exuberance that people may have in terms of overthinking, etc., etc., etc. So mental health really refers to the health of the mind sure. um, um, and, and, and the balance of the mind when making decisions in life, etc., etc. Mm. And due to circumstances, whether it's social circumstances, medical circumstances, or any other circumstance, that the health that we have within our mind can dip. Mm. And when it dips, that is when the mental health services are available to facilitate um, those individuals who have a dip within their mental health to bring it back up into a normal state. Right, okay, so the, the, you, you've actually identified two things there, normal state and, and dips, the health dips. What's, what's the, yeah. let, let's talk about when it dips, yeah, what, what sort of things are we looking at? Um, you know, so, I mean, a physical injury you can recognize, uh, and yeah. illness you can recognize because you've got, um, I guess you've yeah. got temperature and, and you know, yeah. you're coughing or whatever. Uh, or yeah. what, what's, what's a dip in mental, mental, from a mental so health A dip in mental health, um, and, and, and bearing in mind this is quite fluid in terms of the interpretation of mental health, as yeah. you've already highlighted before. Yeah. Um, a dip in mental health refers to, for example, someone acting in a way which is contrary to their normal state. Right. So, for example, someone who's engaging all the time and all of a sudden becomes reclusive, right, okay. becomes isolated, okay. becomes static, yeah. you know. Um, someone who is eating healthily and all of a sudden they're not healthy anymore, you know, they're wanting to sort of like, um, you know, uh, drown their sorrows or drown whatever it is that they're going through, uh, through a series of binge eating, etc., etc., etc. Some people who have never drank before mm. and yet they're drinking because they're going through depression, etc. These are all examples uh, of my experiences in dealing with Muslims in, in, um, okay. within my area of work. Right. Know? Okay. So, so, it's, um, so it's, yeah. it's, it's basically, I think the, 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 I guess you've described some of the symptoms. Depression. I think you mentioned the word depression being, being one, yeah. one, one indicator of of mental health. Um, is yeah. there is there any other indicators? I mean, and or triggers maybe uh, for, for that? Yeah. So, so for example. Um, one of the biggest triggers of mental health issues within the Muslim community, in my experience, yeah. is an intergenerational divide, which mm. is uh, widening as years pass by yeah. within people who are migrants and first or second or third uh, born sort of um, uh, Muslims uh, growing up in the UK. Mm. And as a result of that, because of the differences within, in, within the generations, you have people who want one thing, but they have to abide by a particular set of rules yeah. because that's the way they've been brought up. Mm. And that, that causes um, discreet sadness and depression and also, dare I say, loneliness within one's mind, mm. which causes them to either become suicidal, mm. uh, it causes them to sort of like not, uh, not do well within their studies. And some people can be quite rebellious as a result of that as well against their mm. families as well. Well, so, I mean, you define quite a few sort of uh, for symptoms there uh, again. Uh, I, I'm just trying to sort of so narrow down. Uh, I, I'm looking at somebody right, who's who's looking at somebody who's uh, uh, who doesn't consider themselves as mentally having mental health issues. Uh-huh. Consider themselves as normal, uh, but yep. but somebody who's I guess trained in spotting mental health issues would probably yeah. describe that they have some tendencies. Well, what what are the what are the typical sort of things? I mean, you talk about feeling a little bit sad. You, you talk about a little yeah. bit depressed. 
uh, what, what are some of the? I mean, these are normal moods anyway. I mean, you go through moods and you've got yeah. mood swings and whatever. What, 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 yeah. what? When does it become a, an issue, a health issue? When the issue becomes hazardous right. to one's health. Right. When it becomes hazardous to one's environment. Yeah. And when it becomes hazardous to one's society. Yeah. In all three elements, that is when it becomes a cause for concern right. um, you know, for authorities or for those uh, um, uh, um, related. Sure, I, I can get that from authorities' perspective, but I guess that's that's at an extreme, extreme fringe uh, 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 end. There, there's got to mm -hmm. be somewhere sort of you're you're off the middle ground. You're heading towards that direction. What are the symptoms, sort of things, isn't it? Yeah. So what 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 so what? what so, so what, what, what I'm trying to get at here, yeah, yeah. So, go, sorry, go. Sorry, what I'm trying to get at here is mental health illness is very, very subjective. Even yeah. as I talk to you now, yeah, um, it's very subjective in terms of uh, what is what is deemed as mental health illness and what isn't. I mean, if you if you look if you look in books or look in sort of um, research papers, etc., and all that, there are differing views on that, but. The point being here is that in terms of my work within the NHS, what we look out for is hazards, and mm -hmm. we try to remove those hazards okay. by way of counselling, etc., in right, order okay. to bring that person to a, a state of reasoning within uh, themselves. Okay, right. Okay, so I, I guess the sorts of things that 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 um, you know, I, I guess you look for are things like depression. Depression being somebody in in a mood uh, yeah. kind of a, for for a prolonged period. Everybody goes through a mood session, I well, guess. Without a doubt. Yeah, so so he goes for a, a long period. Somebody worrying as well, maybe worrying about the future and worrying about my... Yeah, yeah so, so you may have come across categorizations of different types of mental health illnesses, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, you know, and each categorization refers to a different type of um, sort of characteristic that one may have on, mm. in a prolonged state, which then becomes a hazard, you mm. know? Okay. And, and, uh, so overthinking, for example, OCD. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, I've come across patients within the hospital, Muslims, mm. who they take up to nearly an hour to do wudu. Right. You know, okay. So, yeah. Because they're not quite sure whether or not the wudu has been done or not. You know. Right. So, so we use various types of techniques mm. to, to reduce the amount of time they spend within wudu mm. to just purely the sunnah method, which is three times in the, on each limb, etc. You know. Okay. Um, and and people do get to do get discharged. Hmm. Don't get me wrong, those who do enter mental health hospitals are not there for long. They get the right sort of help and then they leave with um, with hmm. a fresh new outlook on life. Sure, okay, so so there is there is cure available. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, so 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 we've touched on depression, right? If somebody feeling down for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. Uh, we, you touched on OCD. OCD meaning obsessive compulsive syndrome, compulsive is it? Disorder. This, this, this disorder. Uh, and that's when people are, you know, so worried about being clean. Is that right? Staying clean, or that that that, that is correct. Yes. So germs, bacteria, sure. you name it. Right. So it's so all overly obsessed and, and worried about sort of you know being you know uh, I guess touched with germs, uh -huh. etc. Uh, and and, right. and the other thing is worried about the future. And you mentioned anxiety, worried about the future. Uh, anxiety, the various types of anxiety disorders as well. Yeah. Social anxiety disorder, etc. We so, even so, have so, so hold on. social media therapy as well. So there's two of them. So you talk about social anxiety. Social anxiety meaning that that uh, you fear being among a group of of people, right, or public. That is correct. Yes. Right, and then anxiety generally meaning that that you think 
things are going to be worse than what what they're you know in, in exactly the, in the or if i if i take if i walk down the street then something's going to pop out or whatever you know Right, excessively worrying about things that that may may happen. Okay, so we, we yeah. kind of touched on on the different sort of symptoms of mental health issues, and these are, uh-huh. I guess, recognised by by health professionals, and then they've got ways of dealing with them. Uh, I guess that's correct. Okay, so let, let's talk about the medical way of dealing with them, and then we talk about the Islamic way. Perhaps we can touch on how yeah. how we can prevent these type of things and how we can deal with them going forward. Yeah. So let, let's let's look at some. I mean, you, you're all involved in NHS. What what sort of things? Let's say for example you're dealing with a case of depression how do you deal with that so if a patient comes in and they're diagnosed with depression yeah first and foremost what we do is we we, we first and foremost look at their history in terms of um the um you know the, the background as to why they've come into the hospital so mm. depending on, on on the on the circumstance we then approach the individual in, in that context let me give you an example yeah um, a Muslim woman was beaten up by her husband last month. Yeah. Um, and when she came into the uh, hospital, she was very, very depressed. Yeah. And she was feeling suicidal. Yeah. And when she came to the hospital, we did not administer any sort of drugs or any medications uh, to her. Yeah. We all we did was basically we we allowed her to to become comfortable, get to know us, etc. And then we sort of um, we we normally start off with talking therapies. Hmm. So what I mean by that is. We sort of normally sit down with them, have a cup of coffee or whatever, and just speak to them or allow them to talk about some of the feelings, etc., and all that. Yeah. Dependent on how the conversation goes, what the what the sort of uh, symptoms are within the individual. In other words, are they erratic in their speech? Are they aggressive? Are they you know X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Um, medication may be given. Yeah. Uh, upon the request of either the consultant or dependent on how the situation is with the individual. So this Muslim lady, she was given antidepressants mm. to calm her nerves yeah. uh, during the night time. So when she woke up, she was very calm in that sense. Mm-hmm. So sometimes doses are given twice a day, sometimes they're given once a day. Yeah. It really depends on the circumstances of the individual in terms of how much they need and how much they don't need. Yeah. Okay, so so that's the, that's a typical sort of medical-related therapy Correct. and some talking-related therapy. Uh, and is it, is it a similar sort of approach with other types of mental health issues? Similar Without sort? a doubt, in every circumstance, we always it's all subjective, but we always start with talking therapies. We mm. don't necessarily give them injection or, or tablets or anything like that. We we normally basically uh, allow them to express themselves and see how they are. And dependent on that, we have multidisciplinary meetings and we then talk about what course of action needs to be taken in the interest of the individual. Mm. Brother, what what experience have you had of uh, misunderstanding um, from a cultural perspective issues with uh, gin and, and so forth? Because I would have thought it, it's very important to first of all make sure that you've excluded that there's a definite definite medical uh, cause to a to a problem. Um, have you yeah. come across this? Yeah. So so basically, when you have multidisciplinary meetings regarding any patients. We look at uh, the biological issues around the patient. We look at the, the, the psychological issues, and we also look at spiritual issues as well. We don't cancel anything else whatsoever. We always look at every single possible avenue in terms of what's affecting the individual. In fact, the hospitals that I work at now, due to transcultural training which I deliver to doctors, etc., are now accepting of the fact that spiritual um, uh, there could be spiritual illnesses which can cause an 
individuals become, you know, erratic or anything like that. So we look at every single avenue in regards to the treatment of the uh, of the patient. Mm. I must say, up until now today, I have not come across any patients within any of the hospitals. Uh, I'm talking about Muslim patients here, in which I've had to do ruqya or, or, or any of that, anything of that sort. Mm. I, I've always used Quran as a first point of contact with Muslim patients. Mm. So in other words reading Quran with them, etc. But I haven't specifically done any ruqya in, in, the, in a specific sense. As so of it's a, can you expand on that? I mean, spiritual, you know, you're looking at spiritual causes of, of these. these uh, yeah. Just talk a little bit more about that. I mean, what's, what's the... Let me give you a most recent, uh, a most recent uh, issue which happened yesterday, actually. Okay. An imam who leads one of the mosques here, yeah. he, he was caught uh, walking around the streets after Isha Salah, yeah. shouting out Quranic verses and giving the adhan here and there. And when people were talking to him, he wouldn't listen to them, and he was walking across the street, nearly got run over, run over, etc. When he was brought into the hospital, and I had a chat with him, I found out uh, that he basically felt that his calling, meaning his da'wah that he was doing, was so excessive on his mind that he felt that he could not sleep because he felt like doing da'wah for him was a 24-7 thing, and basically became very overbearing uh, mm. for that individual. Now, giving that was a fantastic thing, but overdoing it and not having time to look after yourself, assess and all that, can, can basically cause that thing that you are doing to become poisonous for your own mental state. Due to lack of rest okay. and uh, perspective into other things and enjoyment in other parts of your life, yeah. Okay, so it, let's... Without let, a doubt, Sorry, let's look at some of the, 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 I guess, from an Islamic perspective. Uh, uh -huh. how, how do you deal, how do you treat somebody? Uh, I mean, I, I would say, I and mean, this, this statement might be a little bit uh, over the top, but uh, <laughs> if, you're, if, if you have, I guess, taqwa and you have tawakkal Allah and you have yeah. your strong imam, right, yeah. you, don't, you don't get mentally ill because you have, you have an escape route, you have a, a catch, basically. How true is that statement? Well, yeah, well, in Surah Al-Kahf, there's a verse in there which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِلَّا يُؤْمِنُ بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَّفَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he actually he's addressing him, saying that فَلَعَلَّكَ maybe you want to finish yourself upon a mountain due to the fact that your own people are not um, listening to you and, and believing in Allah. Mm. Now, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, way beyond any of us, is, is, is close to Allah, he's a Prophet of Allah, he's a Habibullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And yet, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knew and recognized and saw that he was depressed because people were not accepting Islam. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, through this verse, was giving him encouragement that, look, regardless whether people believe or not, your job is to give da'wah, so don't stress upon the fact that they haven't believed, etc. So I think in, in, in the context of um, mental illness or anything like that, or anything about depression or feeling sad or suicidal, if you look at the Quran in an in, in-depth in fashion, or even in the books of Hadith, you'll find there is a lot of substance there which can be used to create uh, models of Islamic counseling from a Muslim perspective. And there are models which are being applied in Manchester in other parts of the UK because I've been traveling extensively for the past couple of months to seek and find out what's what's going on out there in relation to this. Mm. If I could, just in reply to what you brought up, mm. um, uh -huh. 
from a medical perspective, Zafabai, I think you really need to appreciate that um, if you think about the brain as a, a bi- literally a biochemical machine in which yeah. in which the soul resides, mm. and it's a very it's a I would say I would say as I would say as a doctor, previous doctor, that it's a very commonly misunderstood issue that one's mm. um, iman and Tawakkul and trust in Allah um, can um, keep your mental health um, uh, normal. It's a very, very um, um, common misunderstood thing. Misunderstood. Yes, yeah. yeah, Because what you need to what you need 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 to appreciate is is that how can I put it? You wouldn't say um, the brain itself is a functional organ of the body. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't say, for example, oh, well, you've got heart disease because of lack of trust in Allah. You you would you, <laughs> you, you would naturally um, you would naturally um, say, well, it's because yeah. I've got an illness and I, I've got a me- mechanical yeah. fault or I've got a, a valve that is not working properly. Yeah. And s- simply because um, people um, have this um, mis- misunderstood thing that yeah. their, their, their soul controls their brain. What you need to appreciate is our brain occupies the, yeah. sorry, our soul occupies the brain. And the brain, just like the heart, can become mm-hmm. diseased and unwell. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, although the soul is mm-hmm. there, because the brain is not functioning properly, this is yeah. what can lead to you feeling mentally unwell it is a massively misunderstood thing and a a classical thing that medical students will try to do when they for the first time when they start to see um um, mentally ill patients is they try to rationalize how has this happened why is it that the this person has got these thoughts and very quickly then you realize well there is no rationalizing the mental illness because Uh The actual problem is the machine itself is where it has become faulty. So this is what gives rise to yeah. the, the, the the intrusive thoughts, the incorrect thoughts. Yeah. So, for example, a, a patient may say, for example, I absolutely know that the FBI are coming after me because those traffic lights just turned red. Yeah. And and it's a classical mistake medical students will make when they first meet patients when they do psychiatry, they will try to rationalise yeah. it, and there is no rationalising it because the brain, the organ, is has become yeah. unwell, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is what you need to appreciate is is that your your soul is occupying that organ, so it's yeah, not exactly. necessary. And, it's, uh, and and this is why it's so very in, so very. In ter- so in, ter- th- this in is terms why of it's therapy, ver- sorry, in terms of therapy, yes, uh, I think uh, Imam Raza, you, you mentioned earlier on. In terms of the therapy, you always start off with a talking therapy. And the talking yeah. therapy is meant to provide that safety net, right, in your mind, right? Okay. Yeah. So so this is what I'm saying. If, if you have to walk Allah, the safety net is the trust in Allah, right? And and that provides the comfort which, which stops you yeah, going in that direction. But, but there are Muslim patients yeah. who don't have to walk upon Allah when they come to our sort of mm. hospitals. In fact, even mentioning the word Allah causes them to become erratic and angry mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and many other moods happen as well as a result of that. So we've got to be very careful mm-hmm. in how we address mm-hmm. uh, Muslim patients in particular ways sure. because 
what you don't want to do is aggravate the condition that there is already. But look at through token therapy what 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 brings them to positivity, what brings them to negativity. I want to highlight and touch quickly upon the point. What the brother? I don't know what the brother's name is. Well, I'm, I'm about the brain and I'm a bucket, okay. He's he's made a very uh, important point because if you look at the hadith about what the Prophet sallallahu said about the heart, that if it's correct and it's sound and everything else is sound, and if it's not correct or sound, then nothing else is sound. That's a good example of the soul residing within the heart and we have to not only look after the spiritual sort of um, health of the heart, uh, we, uh, we have to also look at the, the biological sort of health uh, um, uh, and the medical health of the heart as well. It's so important to look at everything uh, as a whole rather than a separate entity. Indeed. Okay. Uh, we've just got about 30 seconds or so left. Jazakallah uh, Imam Rosa for, for a fascinating discussion today. I really enjoyed it. Inshallah. And I'm sure we'll, we'll pick up on this topic and on months and, and I guess uh, years to come. We do have a, a mental health, a health awareness campaign on Inspire FM, inshallah. And when we have that, We'll surely get in touch with you, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Okay, listeners, that concludes our show for this Friday, inshallah. Big uh, thank you, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. Indeed, indeed. And until next time, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at Inspire FM Luton.